Good morning, and welcome to WMNF's Midpoint, your midweek, mid-morning source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm your host, Shelley Reback, and I'm here today with our terrific WMNF volunteers. Jessica Green is running the soundboard, and Barbara Fling will be taking your calls. So many of us are horrified by events in Ukraine. Beyond our own monetary donations to World Central Kitchen and other relief organizations, few of us do more. But local Tampa attorney Mark Wright did do more. He recently spent about a week at the Poland-Ukraine border on a personal relief mission to bring food, hope, and soccer balls to Ukrainian refugees fleeing the violence. Mark is my guest today and he'll tell us what he saw and perhaps point us to ways to more ways that we can help. And around 10:40 this morning we will also speak with Michael Geller, communications director for the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. That is the organization that assisted Mark's mission. JDC or the Joint as it has been known is a century plus old Jewish humanitarian organization that has more than 3 decades of experience working in Ukraine before the war. Michael Geller will join us by telephone to explain the mission of the joint and how it has expanded to serve the needs of Ukrainians in the middle of this war. Let me start with you, Mark. Welcome to Midpoint. Thank you, Shelley. So nice to be here with you. Uh, full disclosure, Mark is a friend of mine and was a former law clerk of mine. So all, all of his success I attribute to my <laughs> guidance, right? Absolutely. Um, but Mark recently spent time at the Poland-Ukrainian border with masses of Ukrainian refugees fleeing their war-torn homes. Uh, simple question, Mark. Why did you feel you had to go there yourself? I'm sure like many of the, the people listening, uh, I was watching on TV, I was listening to the news, and I, I could see what was going on. And to me, um, I just thought I had to do more. You know, I saw these faces on TV, I saw these people walking across the border, and I knew that things were bad, and I knew that things were difficult for these people leaving, but I didn't know their names, and I didn't know their stories. Uh, and after a while, um, I made the decision that I just needed to go to Poland, I needed to see firsthand what was going on, uh, I knew that it would be a big imposition on my wife and my kids and my family, but I just thought it was really important to stand up and try to make some type of difference. So. Your trip was was sponsored by yourself. I mean, you weren't working for an organization. You weren't affiliated with an NGO. You just decided that you were going to go and offer your your time and, and your assistance in any way you could. Well, through the help of the Tampa Jewish Federation, I was able to be a part of a National Jewish Federation of North America mission that took part on two days. So what I did was, I didn't want to go over there for just two days. Uh, I went on the Mark Wright humanitarian mission for a couple days on the front side. I spent the Monday and Tuesday of the week that I was in Poland with the group. And then I left them at the border and I spent two days at the border. Then I came back, took my COVID test. Thankfully I was negative and uh, came back home to my family and work. So uh, how did... The trip came about through the um, the federation. Is that is is that it? And what was the purpose of that the group trip? The, my understanding uh, was that there have been a few missions that were run for the um, National Jewish Federation of North America with people from all over the country. And once I was able to be uh, accepted to go on on the trip, which is a small group of people 
you know, you start off as strangers and you leave as family when you spend 48 hours in Poland together. But the whole idea was to see firsthand what was going on with the, like you mentioned, the Joint Distribution Committee, uh, the Jewish Agency for Israel, and to see firsthand what was going on in the ground. So that once I uh, was able to get part of this trip, and it all happened in about a week. Uh, I had about a one-week heads up to make the decision to book the flights, um, to make my mother happy and get a driver that spoke you know, Polish and Russian so that I wouldn't get lost uh, and made the decision to go. So I left on uh, Friday, March 18th. I got to Poland uh, Saturday that afternoon and um, quickly tried to figure out the lay of the land uh, and tried to get to work. Well, uh, let me offer our listeners um, the opportunity to ask Mark questions about his trip, too, in case any of you are planning on going. And if you'd like more information yourself, um, give give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And we welcome your calls and, and your comments and questions as well. So, um let me ask kind of a fundamental question, but what did you and the other people who were with your mission, what did, what did you think that you personally had to offer these people? Well, you know, my, my wife asked me the same question, like, you know, what can you give? You know, what they really need is mental health counselors and what they need is doctors. And I am neither, as you know, that I'm a personal injury lawyer. So, and I thought about it too, you know, what could I bring and what little difference could I make? Uh, so I can tell you that um, I spent two days in Warsaw. I went to a refugee center. Literally, it was an office building that was converted into a refugee center directly across from the hotel. I asked them, you know, how many people were there. They said about 200 families. They had room for 100 more. I asked them how they survived. They said primarily on donations. I asked them what they needed. And they said, well, they were running out of bottled water and they needed cleaning supplies and canned food. So... um I went in. I told them I was part of the Mark Wright humanitarian mission. Uh, they didn't know who I was, but they let me in. And, you know, we went to the train station with uh, the guy that was kind of taking me around. And we saw what was going on in the train station. We could talk about that if you like. And then we went to the grocery store and bought all this food. So I know for those people, for a moment of time, I made some difference. And then at the border... So I spent two days in Warsaw. Uh, when I was in Warsaw, I went over to the uh, main Joint Distribution Committee office. Um, they are doing work for both the Jewish and non-Jewish community in Ukraine as well as uh, in Poland. And, of course, they're doing an amazing job. And the lady in charge, my friend Karina, you know, I told her I'd like to volunteer. And I tried to make this connection beforehand, and there wasn't so much to do. But when I showed up with my... Um, luggage full of clothes that people had donated and my luggage full of medicine that the doctors, my friends that are here, doctors in Tampa donated. She was like, okay. And I warmed up to her a little bit and I bought a dozen lattes the next morning. And she had told me that the lady in charge of the um, clothing center where they organize the clothes and people can come uh, and just take clothes. I mean, these people leave the Ukraine with nothing, sometimes a bag, sometimes one suitcase. But she told me that the lady had gotten COVID, which she has recovered. But I was up, so I spent the whole day, you know, uh, sorting clothes. So at least I was able to do something. And I was able to interact with these people that would come in uh, literally with the clothes on their back. And they just, you know, got um, long underwear, jackets, um, shirts, pants, socks, uh, baby products. And, you know, that was just amazing just to be a part of it and to see them and to interact with them. I imagine that um, if you're... If you are a refugee coming in and you see someone from the United States in there in Warsaw passing out clothes, I would imagine that that 
helps people understand that the world is watching and that there are people all over the world who are looking to help them. I mean, I, I would think that that would be a comfort to them. Uh, one of the things, so I got to the border and the border is about five hours from Warsaw. And, and at the border, uh, it's almost overwhelming. You, know, you see these people and, and I'm a dog person. You know, my family, we have dogs, we have cats. Um, you see these people carrying their cats, carrying their birds, you know, walking their dogs. You see them coming off, you know, over with really nothing. And it was almost overwhelming at the border, Shelly. You know, they come across, somebody's handing them uh, an Easter egg. Somebody's handing them a bottle of water. I was right there with, uh, my son goes to Berkeley Prep. And um, I was right there with the, my Berkeley fleeces and jackets that they had given me. And I was trying to hand it out to people. But really, at the Humanitarian Aid Center, which is, the, the main one was in Shemesh, about literally a five-minute ride. And they're there, they're taken from the border by bus, they're put into the humanitarian aid centers for a couple of days to try to figure out where they're gonna go. And that's what I think that, that what you say really materialized for me. They were like, oh my gosh, you came from all the way from the United States? You know, why are you here? And uh, like you mentioned before, I learned the international language of love in Ukrainian. It's soccer balls and toys. I took my daughter Rowan's... Um, little Polaroid camera. And you know, you're not supposed to take pictures there out of respect for the people. But once the, the you know, security, which was everywhere, understood that I was taking the pictures with the mom's permission, giving it to the kids, you know, uh, as long as I had soccer balls, toys, and camera film, I was very popular after now, I ran out. You know, now, I, I've, I've seen some of your, uh, your postings on Facebook and, and some of your writings um, in the press and in uh, other media interviews where you talk about the soccer ball balls. Tell us how the whole soccer ball project came about. Our Operation Soccer Ball. Right. And <laughs> what was so special about it was that, again, I wasn't sure who I could connect with and how I could volunteer. And it wasn't that easy, frankly. And through my friend Jack Ross here at the Tampa Jewish Federation, uh, he has a connection with uh, these Israeli medical clown doctors. They're really mental health Yeah, counselors. now stop right there. The Israeli medical clown doctors. I saw that you discussed your time with them uh, in other media. And I want to know, are they really doctors? I, I think that they're like mental health counselors. Oh. I don't think that they're medical doctors, but my understanding is that they're mental health counselors because what they're doing is taking care of these people. And so I, I made a, a, a deal that I would bring toys, not soccer balls at the time. I didn't know enough about the magic of soccer balls, <laughs> but I promised them I would bring some toys. Uh, they said that, yeah, they welcomed me. So on the, on the Wednesday morning that I was at the border, I met them at a McDonald's in Shemesh. And what was amazing is that in some places in Poland, it just seemed absolutely normal. You and I having a coffee, you know, going to work, walking around, and then you go to the train station or you go to the border, you know, and then it's just a whole different world. So I met these guys, you know, we check in, we have to register because you can't just walk into these humanitarian aid centers that are filled with thousands of people. And, you know, they seem like nice guys, nice Israeli guys. Dressed as clowns. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm dressed like, as all right, clowns. dressed as clowns. And then we went over to the um, humanitarian aid center and we walked in and it was like a magical light went off. And all they did was make people smile. You know, they sung songs. They gave out some of the toys that I had brought. Um, and they lit up 
not just the children, you know, the mothers, because, you know, when you're in these situations, mostly young mothers, you know, uh, unless you have three children under 18, the fathers had to stay in Ukraine and fight. Um, so mostly mothers, mostly older people. And these guys were just magic. So I spent the whole day with them, um, taking pictures. I was, again, very popular with the Polaroid camera, um, singing, dancing, crying. You know, it was kind of a combination of, of emotional highs and lows. You feel so sad. These people are just lying on the ground. They're lying on these cots. Um, they, they're just there trying to figure out where to go. And what's amazing is, is that being with these guys, uh, my friend Soar, who was in charge, you know, he takes the pictures and he makes sure everybody is, is happy and, and doing, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, um, was really something that I'll never forget ever. And what happened was that we ran out of toys and I had a few soccer balls. I bought four, uh, initially and they went, you know, in an instant. So my friend, um, and driver, um, he and I went across the street and there was a sports store and we filled his car up with maybe a hundred soccer balls. You know, we got the small ones and the big ones. We put them in like uh, grocery baskets and we rolled on in. And at that point, you know, the guards knew us. They saw what we were doing. We had our little bands to allow us in. And all I can say is that I'm sure that the parents that were trying to sleep uh, that night were listening to the sounds of soccer balls bouncing off the walls. And uh, it was pretty amazing. So the kids really appreciated the soccer balls, and I'm sure their parents were happy that they were happy. Uh, I think the kids really appreciated the soccer balls. And frankly, by the second you know trip from the store, uh, a lot of the parents got wind. And I think that we gave out half the soccer balls in the parking lot before I even I made it inside. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, they're, they're just bored. Yeah. You know, they don't know what to do. And they don't know, a lot of them don't know where they're going. And what was really interesting was that I did see a lot of American volunteers. I did oh, not yeah? see a lot of American organizations, though. I didn't see really any American organizations, you know, um, on the ground. I saw the World Central Kitchen. And, this, and that's an amazing organization. And it's one thing, you know, to talk about the World Central Kitchen. Oh, yeah, they do a great job. They serve great food. It is another thing to see them cooking. It's another thing to watch people eat. You know, it is an amazing organization. They're at the border. They were at every humanitarian organization. And I, I tried desperately to trade for one of their World Kitchens, you know, t-shirts, but I, I had no luck. I said, you want a soccer ball? You want anything? Can I make a donation? And they politely smiled. But, you know, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, so everybody who's been donating to World Central Kitchen, Mark can attest to the fact that it's really getting food to people. I can also attest to the fact that I tried it and the food was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I was hungry. Giving out soccer balls works up an appetite. And I asked politely, would I be taking away food from others? And uh -huh. they said, no, they had plenty. Uh -huh. And uh, right. So I certainly would attest to that. Uh, and I was able to see firsthand, you know, you walk across the border and you can see people from the Jewish Agency for Israel trying to help people that were going to be taken or made Aliyah to come to Israel. You see people, there was a, an Israeli medical tent that were immediately taking care of people. Not so much COVID, mostly dysentery issues. You know, children would be throwing up, diarrhea, you know, just from the water they were drinking. And they were taking care of everyone, not everyone, just of course. Jewish people. No, 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 no. Everyone who walked across the border that needed a doctor. And there were volunteers that were working there from all over. You know, everywhere there were volunteers. You would walk across the border and you would see, you know, some type of um, Jehovah's Witness organization, some type of national Catholic. You know, I think 98% of Poland is Catholic. So there would be, you know, people right there on the ground. You would see people giving out clothes, baby food. You would see people giving out uh, tea. Um, there was an organization from India. There was an organization from South America. So it really is amazing. And like you were saying a, a bit ago, I think people were just appreciative of the fact that we were there, that we were there to support them. We were there to say, you know, what's your name? 
Where did you come from? You know, how are you? And for some of these people, they can't even find their husband because the husband has no electricity to charge his phone. Or if they're in the military, as I understand, they can't have their phones on because I guess it's in some signal, you know. Um, right. Um, yeah, they could be tracked right. through their phones. Right. Well, how did you, what did you do to prepare for a trip like this? And let me, let me tell our listeners, if you're interested in asking Mark any questions about his trip, give us a call. Um, I know Mark would be happy to answer them. Uh, our number is 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. So how'd you prepare for a trip like this? Well, after getting my wife's blessing mm-hmm. uh, and uh, knowing that I, had a place to go in terms of the mission, I literally just put out the word on Facebook and Instagram to my friends that I was going. I had contacted the Joint Distribution Committee in Poland through email, and they told me that they needed medicine, clothes, baby supplies, toothbrushes, toothpaste, things like that. Um, I, with the help of all my friends and family, I raised about seven or $8,000 to bring over there uh, to, number one, buy the toys, to make donations, um, to... um, buy uh, pizza uh, one night at the refugee center. They told me they were going to eat those cans of like tuna stuff that I bought. I'm like, not on my watch. <laughs> uh, and I bought uh, 35 pizzas from Dodo Pizza that they delivered. And I don't think they still could believe that I showed up with only cheese. And just for the record, I don't want to get into any debate or dilemma about what topping. So I brought pizzas. And um, so really, I just put the word out. So many of my friends were able to, you know, send me money via Venmo, um, dropped off donations in my office. Some of my chiropractor friends, you know, dropped off things at the office as well. And, and my uh, good friend, uh, Dr. Kreitzer, my friend, Dr. Murphy, my friend, Dr. Tran, they were able to donate um, several things. My friend, Dr. Aguero, all of these doctors were able to donate things that they really needed. And what was amazing is I dropped off some of the stuff to the JDC on Sunday when I was there. When I went to the border on Tuesday, and went to the Israeli tent, a lot of the medicine, antibiotics, things like that was right there helping people. And so I just prepared fast, you know, I packed a jacket, uh, bought a few suitcases that I could leave there. And, you know, I had an interesting experience at the border. Um, I had been to Argentina several years ago and I got this black leather jacket that never really fit me that my wife wanted out of the house. So the first guy I saw that looked like he was my size, I gave him this beautiful jacket. He seemed so appreciative, but his wife kept saying something to me. Like, I'm like, okay, here, I got a fleece for you. And she was like, no, 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 she wanted the suitcase. Uh So uh, I had to dump out all the clothes and I gave her the suitcase because again, these people come with nothing. Yeah, really, you you see pictures on the news of all the people rolling through the border with their you know, one like carry-on size suitcase. Um, Now, you said to me earlier before we went on the air, you talked about the fact that the lines to get uh, over the border were really long, really difficult. Uh, Tell me about that. So I was at a, after we went to that uh, humanitarian facility in Shemesh, we went to another one about 45 miles away. And I met a uh, young girl about 16 or 17, and she spoke, you know, good English, And uh, so I talked to her and her mom for a while, and she explained to me, again, that they were in the western part of the Ukraine, that they thought that they were safe, and then all of a sudden, the bombing started getting closer and closer, so they decided to leave, and they basically uprooted their entire lives. You know, they were able, they were lucky. They took their cell phones, they took one bag, 
Um, they took their passports. So many people have to leave without their passports, which is, of course, a nightmare. And she explained to me that when they came, it was a busy day and they had to stay in line for maybe 12 hours. But she had heard stories of some people waiting in line for over 30 hours. Uh, she told me stories about people waiting in line for so long that some people passed out and even died while they were standing in line because they were fearful of leaving to go to the bathroom. They were fearful for going to try to lie down or, or get some food. Um, and it was just terrific. And this young lady, you know, I followed her now on Instagram. It's amazing social media. You know, before, you know, you can maybe meet them, say hello, exchange a phone number. But now I see that, that her and her mother were able to be moved from there to France. And they're living, I guess, with some friends in France now. But, you know, she told me these horrific stories of trying to get in, you know, to Poland on the other side. And certainly I've been very impressed by the Polish people. I was very impressed with how organized it was. I call it like organized chaos. Um, it was clean. Um, you know, certainly there were a lot of people. Uh, it looked safe and secure. There were a lot of police and a lot of Polish army pretty much everywhere. And they certainly checked you before you were able to get in. Um, but, you know, you hear these stories. Uh, and like I was saying before, you know, on TV, they're just faces, right? And then you hear these stories. And you know their names. And you try to uh, inside cry, you know, so you're not crying in front of them. And, you know, with this young lady and her mom, I outside cry. You know, I was crying. I couldn't stop. And so then all of a sudden, like this ladies consoling me who I'm thinking like, you know, God bless you, ma'am. And I'm glad you're alive. And, you know, I pray for you and your family, but, um, it's, it's pretty amazing what these people are going through. It's so sad. And I just don't understand it. You know, I'm not, I'm not here as a politician. I'm here as a human being just trying to make some small difference. You know, whatever I gave, I got back tenfold, but, um, and you're right that I could see it in their faces. And, you know, whether you just shared a minute with them talking, you know, people were always like, oh my God, you came from the United States. And I was like, I came just because I cared and just because I wanted to support you. And so many of these people are so proud of Ukraine and they want to go back home, you know. That was going to be yeah. my next question. You know, um, a lot of the organizations, I talked to someone from um, one of our local uh, resettlement organizations here. They're expecting about 100 people from Ukraine, which is such a small number given how many people are displaced. But when you think about it, the resettlement organizations are basically uh, organized around the principle that these people will be resettled here. They are coming here for a, a permanent, you know, to move their life here permanently as opposed to um, a temporary situation. And it, you know, from everything I read and see in the news, it appears that many of these people who have left cannot wait to go back. Was that your impression too? They want to go back. I even saw some people going back at the border. Oh, and yeah? like through through my friend Conrad, the driver, um, we were asking them why. And a lot of people would, would come over to the Ukraine, excuse me, from Ukraine to Poland to simply get supplies, baby food, food, medicine, and go back. And then a few of the people that we talked to were just going back. They just felt that, that they had no way, no place to go in Poland. They felt that, you know, they had to go back to their families and see what was going on. You know, I met one lady in the hotel who had a 10-month-old baby who just posted the other day that she was going back to her, um, she lives like in the suburbs of Kiev, just because her whole life is there. You know, her husband is there, her parents are there. She showed me pictures of the church, you know, where her parents you know, worship that was destroyed. She showed me a picture of her neighbor of a Russian bomb in the neighbor's yard. She just pulled it up and showed me a picture. And had the bomb gone off, her neighbor would have been, her friend, you know, would have been dead. And so I did get the sense that a lot of people not only want to go back, 
but even now with everything still going on, and I think that there was a bombing in Lviv this morning. You know, I heard on the radio this morning coming over that there was a bomb. When I was at the border, I was literally 50 minutes, a 50 minute drive from the border um, from to Lviv. Lviv. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So, uh, and you were able to communicate with these people both be through Conrad, your driver, and because a lot of them spoke English? Some of them spoke English. You know, a lot of them spoke Russian. Um, you don't not, speak Russian or Polish or Ukrainian, uh, a right? A <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, I did a lot of smiling and a lot of shaking my head. You know, at some point, we, we realized there's like this kind of a no man's land between Ukraine and Poland. It's like maybe a football field long. And I saw these people walking back. So every time that there was an elderly person, Conrad and I took their suitcase you know, to help them roll back to the Ukraine side because I also wanted to see what was going on. And we made it about four or five trips before there was some exchange with the Polish you know, uh, <laughs> border guard, yeah. right? And they put the kibosh on that. And um, yeah, so I got the sense that a lot of people not only want to go back and are very, very proud. Um, there was, um, I had a loop of music. I was listening to you know, all kinds of songs, Israeli songs, music, and I put on um, the Ukrainian national anthem on my, um, my phone on the loop and while I was sorting clothes, because I was pretty much by myself for about an hour before people started to come in. And then, you know, one lady's coming in, an elderly couple's coming in, and all of a sudden, the Ukrainian national anthem just went on, and everything stopped. She stopped what she was doing. She put her hand over her heart. She stood at attention. I was like, I didn't know what to do, so I stood at attention. I put my hand over my heart, and we without saying a word for a couple of minutes, just listen to the Ukrainian national anthem. So uh, these are some proud people. And again, you know, I'm not here to talk politics. It's not my place. All I can say is I don't understand what's going on. All I know is that it's terrible and so forth. You know, one of the things that, that um, was that I was able to also bring not only clothes and medicine, but my son, um, uh, Jack, goes to um, Berkeley and his teacher, Miss Lewis, wanted to do something. So I said, well, draw, you know, make some drawings. And, you know, she decided to have all the kids make these hearts and say peace and I love you. And I went to what I would call the kindergarten at the Humanitarian Aid Center and I took all the pictures from Jack's class, you know, that Miss Lewis had given me and with one of the, like, volunteers, you know, who did the tape, you know, because, you know, you need somebody to do the tape, we hung them. So they were able to see, you know, these pictures that children had made there with people from all over the world, you know, with our Berkeley Prep kindergarten class, you know, at these humanitarian aid centers. And I think that just kind of making it, you know, Poland is far away and the border is far away, but trying to make some connection, right? Trying to be able to meet these people, get some names, you know, know who their faces are, know, know their stories um, by bringing food, by bringing medicine, by bringing these balls, you know, Shelly made a difference. It's, it's going to be something that I will never, ever forget for the rest of my life. Well, clearly it made a difference to you, but I do think that it may have, you know, helped the refugees feel that their plight was known to the rest of the world, that they weren't alone, that people even in the United States and little old Tampa uh, were aware of them, were thinking of them, watching, and anxious to help in, in some way. I, you know, I, I believe that. I think that you probably saw that with your own eyes. I, I, I saw it and I felt it and it was really amazing. You know, a lot of times uh, I, um, there's been a, you know, a couple of reports, you know, on the news and, and just quickly, I'll mention that some lady called me just the other day that she had 4,000 handmade brand new quilts um, that had been donated all over the place to her organization, I think, which is locally here in Dade City. And now we're just trying to find somebody to help pay for the, um, 
transportation of the quilts. So, so many people do want to help. You know, if you can get up and go, if you're a doctor, if you're a mental health counselor, if you speak any part of Ukrainian or Polish, I say go and volunteer. Go through your church, go through your the, the federation, uh, go through whatever organization you can. People can call me. I'm happy to give out my office number and try to connect you. But um, we'll do that at the end of the show. Sure. Thank yeah, you. I have a call here from Linda in Sarasota. Linda, you're on the air. Thank you for your patience. Oh, you're welcome. I was sitting here this morning paying bills and drinking tea, and I always have WMNF on. And Thank you, Linda. I, you're welcome. I have enjoyed his interview so much. It has made me feel so good that someone is helping these people. Um. My mother was Russian, Ukrainian, and so I wish I would have learned the language, but um, I didn't. But I, I feel so good after uh, listening to him and all the wonderful things he's done. And um, while I was waiting, I did make a donation to the World uh, Food Organization, too. I, I just want to thank you for all you've done. Well, thank you for calling in, Linda. We appreciate that. I know Mark appreciates it. <laughs> Linda, you're going to make me cry. And uh, can Shelly and I come over for a cup of tea when we're finished? Is that okay? <laughs> you made me. <laughs> okay, now we're all quiet on the air. Okay. Yeah, no crying on the air. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for listening to WMNF, and we appreciate your comments about today's show. Uh, you thank- Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, if you have any comments or questions for Mark, give us a call. Um, you can join in our conversation uh, by calling 813-239-9663, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Uh, um, what do you think, WMNF listeners? Do you think we can or we should do more in Ukraine uh, to stop the war, to stop the suffering of the people who are living through it. So give us a call or email us, text us, and let us know your opinion. 813-239-9663. So Mark, um, I'm wondering, um, since you've been back, have you heard from people who, uh, like Linda, who have heard about your trip some way and some of the, you know, the media that you've done and, and, you know, are reaching out to, to figure out what they can do? Yes. You know, what's been really special is that even before I was going, so many people, you know, it's one thing when your friends and family donate. Those are the people that you love and those are the people that you count on. And that's amazing. But I had people drop by my office just to give me a few hundred dollars. You know, I had people drive by my office, you know, that could see on Facebook that I was leaving that, you know, I was friends with on Facebook, but I didn't really know to drop off clothes. But coming back, Many people have reached out to me, you know, wanting to donate clothes and things like that. And surely what I tell people is that, you know, for what it would cost to transport a suitcase or two, you're better off making some type of donation to the Joint Distribution Committee or through some other international organization so that they're really helping on the ground. Um, if somebody's going, of course, that's maybe a different story. But if you can donate... Uh, in any way, I think that a lot of people have reached out to me. I told you about this quilt. All of a sudden, right. I'm, on, I'm on the phone with this lady. 4,000 you know, quilts. This is the second time I cried today. She's got 4,000 new quilts. She told me that somebody from the North Pole had sent in a quilt, and she wants these to be delivered to the Humanitarian Aid Center. And if they do, if you want to come back, we can do a live feed from the for the delivery <laughs> date and just talk to them on the ground. So a lot of people have called me. You know, A lot of people have asked me how they can volunteer as well. And I got to tell you, it's not so easy. And and I, I think that... Tell us about that. Well, I, 
I, I think that, you know, you could contact, not 98% of Poland is Catholic. So I would think maybe, you know, through your church would be some way, you know, maybe th- with the Polish Red Cross. Um, I know we have a Ukrainian Catholic church in St. Petersburg that was initially collecting donations of clothing and uh, hygiene supplies and things like that that were going to be uh, transported uh, to the border. But I I recently heard that they were no longer accepting uh, donations of those things. I think they were inundated. And the cost of moving those things to where they could be useful, where they could go, was just so crazy prohibitive. So I think your suggestion for people who really want to help, I mean, I started this uh, show when I reached out to you thinking, you know, just donating money doesn't feel like enough. It doesn't feel like doing enough. But at the same time, um, it really is the most effective way to get help to the people who need it because the cost of transporting your old, you know, your old clothes or, uh, you know, a toothbrush is just prohibitive. And it can be much more, uh, distrib- it can be distributed in a much more organized fashion um, through one of these NGOs that are on the ground. And, and we're going to be talking in just a couple minutes uh, to Michael Geller, who is uh, the communications director for the American Jewish Joint Distribution uh, Committee, who ha- which is an organization that is over 100 years old, and it has been on the ground in Ukraine for more than 30 years, uh, working with the Ukrainian Jewish population, and now has expanded its mission uh, to work with uh, everybody who needs help there. So, in fact, I, I see that Michael Geller has joined us by telephone. I'm going to bring him into the conversation. Uh, Michael Geller, are you with us? Can I you? am, Shelley. How are you? I'm are good. You? How are you? Um, thank you for joining us on Midpoint today. We appreciate it. I don't know whether you've had uh, the chance to hear uh, the earlier part of the show with Mark's interview about his experience in going to the border of Poland and Ukraine and uh, doing his own personal humanitarian mission. Um, But uh, one of the organizations that he found when he was there and and worked through was the joint, was JDC, the American Jewish uh, Joint Distribution Committee, which is your organization. So uh, maybe you can tell us about the joint and its history and its, uh, its work in Ukraine. We're we'll be very happy to, and of course, you know, we're very grateful to Mark. His work is nothing short of inspiring, and I know that he and um, other folks who have traveled there as part of the Jewish Federations of North America are just um, supporting efforts um, in amazing ways, and we're very grateful for that. Um, longtime partners of ours, uh, and Shelley, thank you for having me on. Uh, as uh, you mentioned, I work for the Joint, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, and we are um, more than a century-old Jewish humanitarian organization that was founded in the early days of World War I to take care of Jewish people who were facing hardship and starvation um, in Jerusalem um, and what was then Ottoman uh, Palestine, and then um, expanded throughout uh, Europe. Um, and other areas that were touched by World War One, and our mission has continued for over a hundred years, as I said. And our core mission is to save Jewish lives and build Jewish life. Um, and we have been doing that um, every day um, since we were founded. And as you also mentioned, we also provide a Jewish response to crises, natural disasters, wars, and things like that um, that are impacting our neighbors. Um, and that can be anything from responding to an earthquake in Haiti 
to getting convoys of people out of Sarajevo when it was under siege, convoys of both Jews and Christians and Muslims and um, people of all backgrounds getting them out of war zones and things like that. And uh, we have a very long history of working in Ukraine. We've been there for the last 30 years um, to help rebuild Jewish life after the fall of communism and take care of uh, the needy Jewish population there. But actually, as it turns out, our history in Ukraine goes back all the way to the 20s, uh, the early 20s, um, when we helped the Jewish community there. We were part of efforts to help people respond to the famine there. Um, so we have very, very deep roots. Um, and today, those deep roots, and particularly the infrastructure that we've built, has been part of our, our effort to respond. Um, and we're responding on three fronts in Ukraine or around Ukraine. Um, number one is the work we're doing in Ukraine. Number two is evacuating people out of Ukraine. And number three is dealing with refugees in the surrounding countries of Poland, Moldova, Romania, and Hungary. So um, currently, given the war that is raging in Ukraine, um, is your organization serving just the Jewish community or are you serving the entire uh, community of Ukraine that is um, moving and displaced through the country? So in Ukraine, our primary mission is working with the tens of thousands of Jews that remain, but our efforts also touch um, um, non-Jews as well. Um, but our main focus is on the Jewish population. Before the war, before the invasion, we were serving nearly 40,000 needy Jews in 1,000 locations across the country. And uh, we did that through social service centers and Jewish community centers and other um, infrastructure we have, including staff and volunteers who remain there. Um, and some of, some of the heroes who are doing that work are home care workers, uh, people who are literally helping elderly people um, during, the, during the invasion. And these are home care workers who generally provide food and medicine and home care, taking care of their needs, um, whether it's um, sanitary needs, cooking for them, uh, making sure they have their medicines and things like that. And many of them are either staying in their clients' homes overnight with them when there are curfews and when there are bombings, or even inviting them into their homes to take care of them. So our teams are working around the clock. So a lot of the, the elderly people don't want to leave? Is, is that my sense of what you're saying? In, in some cases, they don't want to leave, and in other cases, um, they can't because they may be too frail or um, have health issues that prevent it. But yes, I mean... You know, we're hearing a lot, um, and importantly, a lot about um, the uh, 4 million people who have left, but there are tens of millions of people who remain. I think that's an important point, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so we continue our services even during wartime, providing food, medicine, and emergency support, offering people um, psychosocial care, online programming that people can connect the community and to each other even while they're unable to leave their homes um, and um, and at this very moment also preparing for the Jewish holiday of Passover uh, which starts next Friday night um, and we are delivering tons of matzah and other material support to people uh, so they can celebrate the holiday even in the midst of this conflict. Wow. Um, and with regard to the people who are leaving, though, the, the refugees and the internally displaced people, uh, does the organization follow them to their resettlement communities, or is resettlement really the wrong word, since most of them seem to want to return to Ukraine? 
So it's a real mixed bag in terms of what people's desires are, right, in terms of whether they want to return, whether they want to move to other points. But we do know, and it's been reported in the last few days, that about a half a million people have already returned. And we do know that that's continuing, and we have heard from the people who we are helping a desire to go back. Although that said, some people are either planning on staying long-term in the countries they're in, or some have, uh, in the case of Jewish people, have um, have made have immigrated to Israel. Um, but in terms of the in terms of the trek that they're making, the journey they're making, we're with them every step of the way. Um, we really look at this as a chain of care. In many cases, um, the people who we're helping evacuate, and today we have evacuated more than 11,000 people. Um, these are folks, many of them, who are already being helped by us in Ukraine. And then they tell us they want to leave. And so we arrange often um, very um, very delicate um, evacuation convoys um, that are done at great risk to the people who are uh, making them happen. And they have to um, go through dirt roads. They have to change directions many times. They can be under bombardment, um, you know, rockets and missiles. And, and in some cases, air raids they're going through, having to travel on infrastructure that's been destroyed. And they make the trek out from various cities in Ukraine, like Kiev and Kharkiv and Odessa. Um, and in our case, the places they have gone to is um, through Moldova and then through Romania, Poland, and Hungary. And when they get there, um, they are greeted by us and by local Jewish communities that are providing them care. Um, and to your question before about helping um, people who are not Jewish, this is where uh, with the refugee population, JDC is doing a lot of work. We've helped more than 30,000 refugees to date, um, and those are both Jewish and non-Jewish refugees, and we provide them with a variety of different kinds of care, food and medical care and psychosocial support and accommodation, um, SIM cards to be able to use their phones in the new country, um, and as they're making their decision, we help them along the way. If they want to stay in a place, then we're going to make sure that they have accommodation and connections for, you know, for the right amount of time. And in fact, I mentioned Passover before. We're literally preparing to hold Passover seders in all those countries for Jewish refugees who are going to stay there. We're going to be there for the holiday. We want to make sure that they can celebrate it. And uh, do you work in parallel with other organizations, other uh, refugee organizations, humanitarian organizations. Um, are you? Is this something that are the organizations like cooperating with each other? They are. They um, are. And how is they that are. working? Look, it's a real, it's a real tremendous feat, um, and we have a lot of experience from this working in um, natural disaster and other crisis zones. What ends up happening is in 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 times when there's crises like this, you, um, you can have a lot of duplication of effort for um, folks working in parallel to each other, and you want to make sure... Yeah, you want to make sure your resources are distributed in a way that exactly. isn't, you know, creating duplication of effort or, you know... Exactly, exactly. And we are, and we're very well-schooled in that, and so we work parallel to uh, other Jewish organizations that are working um, in those places, as well as other, um, you know, general NGOs, um, and we have long-term partnerships with them, and we make sure that everybody is focusing on um, their area of expertise, and that's very important for us, right? Focusing on one's area of expertise where you have the best 
added value. Um, and that's part of those coordination efforts, having folks sit down, discussing what's needed, where it's needed. We are, we are cooperating, for example, with um, two field hospitals that the Israeli government has set up. We are cooperating in some cases with the um, with the International Red Cross, with IRC, and others. Um, and these coordination conversations are very, very important because ultimately, at the end of the day, it ensures care for everyone who's coming through, and so that what is a very traumatic experience from them doesn't become um, more challenging because of you know um, uh, issues that can come up when um, many groups are working in the same place. And from what I understand, the international community has uh, done certain things that are fairly extraordinary with regard to issuing, uh, you know, uh, permission for people to stay in these countries that are adjacent to Ukraine, like Moldova, Poland, Romania, Hungary. Um, You know, they can stay for uh, a period of time that without applying for visas, without applying for uh, the normal kind of work permits that you would need. Um, it seems like the international community in that area, in that part of the world has tried to, even throughout Europe, has tried to, you know, make it a little bit easier for these people who are fleeing um, to get to a new place and establish at least a temporary life there uh, without too much bureaucratic red tape. Is that your sense of it too? Yeah, and the credit, all credit really does go to both the governments of those countries, both local and national governments, um, the citizens of those countries who feel very strongly about helping and supporting these refugees, and, and obviously the NGOs whose real focus is um, refugee resettlement and, and uh, refugee aid. Um, and that can be, you know, HIAS and IRC and others who were at the forefront of those efforts. Um, and look, we, we know from the Jewish community, we see it. Um, these are Jewish communities that until uh, the fall of communism um, were, were very small or virtually non-existent. They have blossomed in recent decades, and they're at the forefront of efforts to help refugees um, in Poland, welcoming people into the community, um, housing them, making sure they have food and medicine and in Romania and Hungary um, and in Moldova, especially Moldova, um, which uh, JDC has also worked in since the fall of communism, um, the Jewish community has become a hub for these efforts. The volun- young volunteers and old volunteers and people coming out and want to be part of the effort, and they really feel passionately about this. Um, and so, you know, in a matter of six weeks at this point, um, these, these communities um, and the people who are a part of them have become literal hubs for refugee aid. Uh, and we're very proud to partner with them to make it happen. Michael, one of the things that I was so impressed with is that I know the work of the JDC and how amazing it is, but to really see the folks on the ground, you know, in Warsaw, at the border, at these humanitarian aid centers, and see what the you know the JDC does uh, and the difference that it makes is really amazing. So certainly, um, I can't tell you how how much I appreciate all the things that the JDC does, you know, for the Polish people, for the Ukrainian people, for the refugees, and I think it's really amazing. Uh, I had two two questions, Michael. Number one is is that if somebody wanted to make a donation to the JDC, can you tell us how that would work? And the second thing is is that um, Shelley, when I was at the JDC, which is again, was really special. I almost had an international incident. I just want to apologize to Michael because, Michael, you, you know the room, so I was sort of sorting the clothes in the room, and I went to get another suitcase. I had taken off my Adidas jacket, Shelly, and um, in my jacket was 2,000 American dollars uh, that I 
put in for to buy toys. And when I came back, this uh, Ukrainian woman was holding the jacket up to her husband. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, oh, so Michael, I just want to apologize if I cause any incident because I was like, I got that jacket back pretty fast, but I found her another one for her husband and all that stuff. But, but Michael, I really appreciate just listening to you as well and just to say thank you for all the amazing work of the JDC and, and allowing me to spend, uh, you know, uh, a few minutes and a few hours there and in a time and a place that I'll never forget. Uh, Mark, thank you. Um, and even if you skip the process of donating, I know that that couple was very, very happy. <laughs> <with you. laughs> um, so, no, the truth is, um, if folks want to give to JDC, and of course we welcome that, they can go to our website, which is jdc.org, um, and uh, can do that um, right away. The other way that folks can support our work is if um, they are in communities where there is a local Jewish federation, um, we are um, old and historic partners with the Federation system. Um, very, very, very proud of the support that we get from them. They can do it that way as well. Um, and I think um, at this point, you know, that's the most important thing um, is being able to give and support efforts. Um, there's a lot that's going to be needed um, at this point. This is really a long-term crisis, um, not just for those who've left the country, but for those who remain. And one of the things that we keep saying is, we didn't spend 30 years in investing um, in Jewish life in Ukraine to simply walk away. We're going to stay with the Jews of Ukraine. We're with them now. We're going to be there for rebuilding efforts afterwards. We're going to be there to help people who remain outside of the country get taken care of. And we know we're joined by so many other organizations doing this. So, you know, it's one of those moments where um, this is our mission at its purest um, and, uh, it is it is a very great honor to be able to carry it on. Um, tragic that we have to do so, um, but that that we're there to do it. And with people like you, Mark, and others who are supporting us, we know we can do it. Well, um, you know, certainly there's going to be an enormous task once uh, this conflict, this immediate conflict, ends in rebuilding in Ukraine. And um, it's, it's, it just seems overwhelming. I mean, you see the photographs of places like Mariupol and, and Bucha the other day uh, was all over the media. And it's just astounding that in 2022, um, you know, we're seeing this type of, of horrific destruction and, and um, cruelty um, in the name of, you know, state-sanctioned violence. Um, and... So I know that it's going to be even more important on the rebuilding end um, that Ukraine have the support of organizations like JDC. So I appreciate that, uh, Michael Geller. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Michael. Uh, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Did you no, have I just want to say thanks, question? Mike. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. A pleasure. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank yeah. You. Now, have you yourself been to the area, Michael? Um, I, have. I have actually uh, several times. And so for me... Um, for me and for many of my colleagues, this is a very personal experience. Um, um, colleagues, friends, um, people that we serve there, we know them personally. And so every story that we hear is potentially somebody who we've spent time with, um, somebody who we care about, who we're in regular touch with. Um, and so I think that this is a very important point to make is that, um, you know, when it's uh, so deeply ingrained in your DNA and for us, um, Ukraine is ingrained in JDC's DNA. The Jewish community there is. You know, well, the, isn't there a particularly large Jewish community in Ukraine even yeah. after World War II? Um, yes, 
yes, before yeah, before the invasion, the estimated Jewish population is about two hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, listen, I've been there. I have I have seen these communities reborn. I have visited with them. I have even been to um, uh, my grandfather's village, the village he came from. Um, I'm not entirely sure he would have been so thrilled that I returned there, but I did. <laughs> um, and uh, for the for the uh, few remaining Jews who were there when I was there, uh, the only organization that's helping them is JDC. And um, when I speak to colleagues of mine every day in Odessa or in Kiev or in other locations, um, the person on the other end of the line is not just um, it's not just somebody who is doing the work of the organization. Um, they're, they're a friend. Um, they're somebody that we care about and them and their families. Um, and so, um, look, this is this has moved a lot of people and certainly moves us. Um, and that's, I think, why we stay so layers are focused on this and why, as you were saying, Shelley, why we're going to stay laser focused in the long term after the headlines have died down and folks have stopped paying attention. You know, we're going to keep we're going to keep working. And I think that's a strength of NGOs like ours and others that we're very patient and we're in it for the long haul. And that's our focus. Well, that's very good to know. What is the website of the, the joint? What's the website of JDC? Sure, it's www.jdc.org. So if people want to learn more about the organization, they can go to that website. Um, if they're interested in helping with a financial donation, they can make it through the website. Um, and if they want um, you know, to follow the work of JDC, I imagine that you also have ongoing information on your website about the activities of the organization and what you're seeing there and what you're doing there. Yeah, on our on website, on social, and also as I mentioned before, folks um, are um, have a uh, Jewish federation in their area. Then they also can find more information there as well. So um, all this is a very big partnership and coalition for making sure that people get the care they need. And actually, Mark, we do have we do have a federation in Tampa, don't we? We do have a federation in Tampa that's very involved, that does a great job, that helped me connect with the Israeli medical clown doctors, as well as, you know, JDC on the ground at the Jewish Agency for Israel as well. So uh-huh. they do a great job, and certainly you can reach out to uh, the Tampa Jewish Federation. Uh, you can reach out to them. You can make a donation through the Tampa Jewish Federation as well that will go directly to the Ukraine. And so it's all very important, you know. So I, I, I really appreciate I know that our time is getting tight soon. You know, you've given me the opportunity to talk, to be a part of this. Um, Michael, it's great to be, you know, on the radio with you. And um, it's really an honor. Can I just give my number out if that's the sure, case? Yeah. So if anybody has anything that they want to talk about donating or have questions about volunteering, my office number is 813-425-2020. 425-2020. Call me anytime. And it would be my pleasure and honor to talk to you. Well, thank you, Mark. And I, I want to thank you uh, for being on the show today. Mark is a local lawyer in Tampa who traveled to Ukraine himself uh, on a personal humanitarian mission. And I want to thank Michael Geller, Communications Director of the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, which is the organization that uh, aided Mark once he got there on his trip by making their projects and people available to him to receive the aid he brought with him from Tampa and all those soccer bowls. I, I also want to thank our terrific WMNF volunteers who get the show on the air, Jessica Green and Barbara Fling. And as always, a big thank you to you, our listeners and supporters, without whom there would be no WMNF. Now, please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss right after the NPR News. We are WMNF Tampa. Fight the powers that be. 